Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. So grateful for our worship team, Pastor Zach. Yeah, we can clap for that, can't we not? Yeah, we can. I want to put a face to a name for you this morning. Uh, this is a picture of our granddaughter, Lucy, a little five-year-old. Um, I, I don't know, I cannot adequately express Becky and I's uh, gratitude <laughs> for your heartfelt concern, prayers, expression. No one will ever convince me that this is not the most loving church in Texas. <laughs> it just is. And so I wanted to put a face to a name with you today. This is Claire's little younger sister, and uh, she is uh, she's a joy. So let's continue. We've worshiped in song today. Let's worship in the Word, shall we? Uh, we're continuing our walk through the Sermon on the Mount, and our passage today gives us instruction, guidance, and inside direction in modeling that the Lord gave us in this sermon on how to pray. He gave us a template for praying so that we're able to enter into the Lord's presence as He intends. And we experience intimacy with Him and His presence, and His favor, and His blessing. I want to pause right here and ask this question and this is not rhetorical. I'd like to see your hands. How many of you have ever struggled in your prayer life? Can I see your hands? Yeah, thank you for being honest today. You're in church. <laughs> and if we want to grow deeper in our prayer life, and maybe you've been a believer for a long time, but you need to revisit some of the things that have infused your time of prayer for God's glory and honor. And if that's you, this passage is for you today. As I was preparing for today, I was thinking about the kind of prayers that I first learned to pray. Do you remember the very first prayers that you learned to pray and who you learned those prayers from? I learned to pray from my mom. She wanted me to learn to talk with God. And one of the very first prayers she taught me was one to use right before a meal. Do you remember that kind of prayer? The one I learned went something like this. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. By His hands, we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. My mom was teaching me that God is a provider. He gives us food. We should give thanks to Him. So what was my mama doing when she taught me to pray? She was giving me guidance. She was giving me direction. She was giving me a model. Now watch this, beloved church. Watch this. It's important to learn to pray from your parents and learn to pray from others. But guess who it's most important to learn to pray from? It's Jesus. <laughs> 
our Lord Jesus. He's the one who's most important. And the Bible says that there was a time where his disciples asked him to teach them to pray. Uh, They had heard about John the Baptist teaching his disciples how to pray. And they said, would you please teach us how to pray? Jesus said, well, yes. When you pray, pray this way. I believe those men knew and sensed that he had something that they needed when it came to prayer. We're going to look at that prayer in just a moment. Before I do, I want you to see the preface to that prayer that he gave them. It's in Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. Here's what Jesus said in response. He said, and when you pray, and here, here's the assumption, folks. The assumption is that we're going to pray. Do not heap up empty phrases if you can circle those two words. Empty phrases. Don't heap them up like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Don't be like them with all their empty phrases and words. And and listen, because this next thing that Jesus says ought to guide every prayer that we utter. Jesus says, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows. He cares. He's aware of all of our needs. It shapes, should shape our praying. And so what we see in this preface is that Jesus focuses on the authenticity of our prayers and the brevity of our prayers. He's saying, listen, rather than nonsense, empty phrases, be authentic. And your prayers can be brief. They don't have to go on and on and on. Have you ever had someone pray like that? Maybe it was before a meal and they prayed so long that the, that the food got cold. <laughs> and Jesus is teaching us, look, when you pray, just be authentic. Use words you know. And He's telling His disciples, I'm going to teach you how to be guided into the Father's presence by your prayers. Just be brief. You don't need to wear God out. You don't need to persuade Him. You don't need to bargain with Him. He knows what you need before you ask. This is a difficult concept to grasp, is it not? We're of limited knowledge. We're human. He's all-knowing. He knew us before the foundations of the world were laid. And sometimes we want to just say, don't you hear what I'm asking? Is there anyone up there? Do you know what I'm facing? Sometimes we think if we just repeat words enough that somehow we'll get through and He'll hear. He's more likely to hear. But we should be reminded in those times these words of Jesus. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
for he is a good, good father. I think I'm preaching better than you're amening right now. So Jesus says after this preface, and I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand. And these verses will be on your screen and stand if you're able in honor of reading God's word. And I'd like you to read these words out loud with me. This prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. I suspect that most everyone in this room has heard this prayer before. Some of you have memorized a version of it. It's typically called the Lord's Prayer because Jesus is the one who gave it to us. But I would say to you this morning, it's probably better called the Disciples' Prayer because it was a prayer that they requested when they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. It might even be better called the model prayer or the exemplary prayer or the paradigm prayer, the prayer that guides us on how we should pray. I want you to look at verse 9 with me. He begins by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I have to tell you, church, that when I got to those first two words, Our Father, I just was worshiping before the Lord. Because what amazing two words those are. Christ is taking us in plurality with Him, in conjunction with Him, and calling His Father our Father. It's amazing. It emphasizes that we're not just individuals on an island as we walk through this journey. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of the church. This immediately lifts us to something beyond ourselves, something bigger than us, to God and His purposes and His people and His church when we say our. Did you notice how many times I, me, or mine appear in this prayer? They're not there. The singular pronouns are not there. It's all plural. Our Father. And Scripture teaches us that we know Him, and we can say that through adoption. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus that God has adopted us to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Sons and daughters. We know God only through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And because He's our Father, if you're a note taker, this is the note, first note, God's disposition toward us through Christ is one of grace and love and discipline, provision, tenderness, and care. You may say this morning, well, how do you know that, Pastor? There's so many verses (laughs) that I could use here in the New Testament. But the one that came to my mind as I was writing this immediately was Romans chapter 5, where Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and he says this, but God showed His love, other translations say demonstrated, shows His love for us 
that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you hear that? Before you were born, before you were adopted into God's family, before you could truthfully say, Our Father, Christ died for you. If you've ever doubted that you've been loved, you need to doubt no more. There's never ever been an expression of love greater than this. Have you ever watched a father, the best kind of dad, who loved, cared for, was tender towards, was kind towards his child? Have you ever seen that? It's wonderful, isn't it? But all that's good about the best kind of earthly father pales in comparison to the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. Look back at verse 9 with me for a few moments where it says, Our Father in heaven, in heaven, God reveals that He is both near us, His eminence, and He's exalted above us, His transcendence. God is not only near and loving right now, but He's above us in heaven. It means that He is powerful. He's never lacking in any kind of authority to do what He needs to do. Hallowed be Your name. The first request, don't miss this, the first request Jesus teaches us to make of our Father is that His name... His name be treated with the holiness and honor that He is due. That's what hallowed be your name means. Did you notice the first request Jesus teaches us is not about your needs or my needs. That's not the first thing. It's about His person. It's about His character. It's about His authority. When we learn to pray the way Jesus teaches us to pray, it properly positions us to experience life as God intends. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Make Your name holy, reverenced in my life in my family, in my church, in my community. God, I pray that Your name be exalted above all. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray your kingdom come, we understand that biblically speaking, the kingdom began when Christ came to the earth. But it will not be consummated, it will not be finished until his return at the end of the age. Even so, come quickly. Amen, amen. <laughs> Even so. We see this in the very teaching of Jesus himself when he said in the Gospel of Mark, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we recognize that those who are in the kingdom now, those who are in the kingdom now 
are those who do what Jesus said. Those who repent, believe, and follow Him. When we pray, God, Your kingdom come, we're saying, oh God, rule and reign. Rule and reign over us and others on this earth for our good and for Your great glory. At this juncture, we have to ask an important question. Well, how does God's kingdom come on earth? Here's some affirmations I want us to make today. They're in your notes. We affirm that God's kingdom comes on earth, number one, not through any governmental or political activity. There are those who believe God's kingdom will be ushered in by some governmental entity or some political movement. This is a misconception. When we are praying, God, your kingdom come, we're not praying in geopolitical terms. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It won't be ushered in by coercion. It won't be ushered in by violence. It will not be ushered in by any government or political result. So when we pray your kingdom come, we are affirming that it will not come through any governmental or political entity. This affirmation reminds us that while governmental or political matters are important. Please hear me say that. They're important. It doesn't mean we should withdraw from these concerns. We should be praying for our leaders each day. We should be voting. Voting your convictions. All of us should vote. Some of us in here should run for office. And while we acknowledge those governmental and political matters are important, we just affirm that they're not ultimate. Here's the second thing. We affirm that God's kingdom on earth will not come through any of our efforts at social justice or humanitarian aid. I want you to think with me for a moment. Does the teaching of Jesus and His actions on earth have any social or relational dimensions? Do they? What's the answer to that? Yes, of course. The relational dimensions to following Jesus are all throughout the New Testament. But that's not what we're talking about here. Of course, we're to relate in love towards our neighbor. And love, beloved love, requires action. But here's the dilemma. If we simply engage in meeting needs, if we simply focus on social justice actions and we don't mention Jesus or if we don't mention the gospel, we have failed. We failed. Is it good to give someone who's thirsty a drink of water? Of course it is, but it's even better to tell them about the living water, the living water who came to earth and that if you drink of Him, you will never thirst again. Is it good to give someone who's hungry a piece of bread? Of course it is. Of course it's good to give them. But if, if it's even better if when we give that bread to say, let me tell you about the living bread who came down from heaven. And if you eat of it, you'll never hunger again. The kingdom of God comes only, only church as people acknowledge that Jesus is king and gladly submit 
to His rule and reign. There was a statement that the chief priest made when Christ was on trial before Pilate. Pilate brings him out to these chief priests. And Pilate says this, Behold your king. Do you remember what their response was? <laughs> we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Beloved, be careful who you call king. I love LeBron James, but he's not the king. Arnold Palmer was not the king. We're not doing anyone a service when we call them that. Those who are in the kingdom say this, we have no king but Jesus. That's what we say. Amen. And when we pray Your will be done, it means we understand the difference between God's secret will. It's next in your notes. You may want to write in the margins, Ephesians 1.11. It's the will where God has ordained that all things be accomplished according to the purpose of His will. And then God's revealed will. You say, well, where do you see that distinction in Scripture, Pastor? It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Look at it with me, please. He says, the writer Moses says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So some things are secret. God does not reveal them. Does that bother you guys at all or is it just me? Right? But He has decreed that they will occur. He doesn't tell us. But other things are revealed in Scripture. And by the way, it's enough. It's enough what's been revealed in Scripture. I want you to watch this. When you pray that Your will be done, we're praying that God's revealed will will be done in our own lives and in the lives of people everywhere. We're there's, we understand that there's precepts, there's commands, there's principles that God intends us to do. And that's our prayer when we say, Father, Your will be done. I have to hurry along. Let's look at verse 11. He goes on to say, Give us this day our daily bread. And the emphasis is on today. That's the simplicity of this prayer. When Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, He's affirming the importance of the physical body and its needs. He's teaching us to own, to embrace and acknowledge daily our dependence upon Him. Not just to meet our food needs, but every need. And beloved, gratitude is the key indicator. Don't miss this. Gratitude is the key indicator of whether we have learned our dependence should be on God. It's the reason we bow our heads like Jesus did and give thanks before every meal. 
not just for the food, for the bread, but acknowledging that everything we have is from Him. Verse 12, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. When Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, He's affirming that we all owe God. We all owe God a debt we cannot pay on our own. Everyone in this room is in debt to the Father. And what we owed, we cannot satisfy. We fail to pay. Scripture teaches us that the basis for our forgiveness is Jesus' perfect obedience to the law and His death on the cross for our sins as a substitute. If you want to, write in the margin, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And because of that perfect sacrifice and obedience to the call, we're declared not guilty. The cross declares us not guilty, and our debt is marked paid in full when we trust Jesus. Can anyone say amen to that? <laughs> and when Jesus teaches us to pray, as we also have forgiven our debtors, He's reminding us that the evidence, the evidence that we have genuinely experienced God's grace and forgiveness is that we will extend it to others. He's not saying that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Oh, no. His forgiveness is a gift. It's a gift of grace based on the finished work of Christ. We don't earn anything by forgiving others, but if we have genuinely experienced His grace, if we've genuinely experienced His grace, the evidence will be that we will forgive others even when they don't deserve it. Verse 13, Lead us not into temptation, Jesus teaches, but deliver us from evil. When Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, He is affirming that we need God's protection. We need His protection, and we should ask for it daily. He's not suggesting that God entices us to sin. James teaches us that God tempts no one. Jesus is closing this prayer to our Father by asking Him to deliver us from our spiritual adversary. Do you know today that you have an adversary every day whose desire is to steal from you? to kill you, to destroy you? Jesus is teaching us, ask your Father for protection over you, over your family, and deliverance. I know as I'm teaching these truths from Scripture today that they're being heard and filtered in more than one way. There are some in this room, as I was talking about our Father and the beauty of that community with Christ and our Father, that He's a good, good Father. You're, you're relating those truths this morning uh, to a good and godly and reliable and loving earthly Father. And you're remembering this day 
how your earthly father's life mirrored that of your heavenly father. And you're grateful for his life, for his influence. But there are some of you, though, who are filtering this teaching through a very hurtful, painful experience with your own father. He wasn't there. He wasn't reliable. He may have left you, hurt you. And because of that, when you hear this teaching today, you may be saying, well, Pastor, I'm just having a hard time connecting with this idea of God as a good, good father. I want to say to you this morning, beloved, that if that's you, based on the strength of the testimony and teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, notwithstanding our own experiences or our own fathers, our Heavenly Father is a good, good Father. This last Friday, a couple days ago, this was a week after her surgery, Becky was alone with Lucy. And Lucy called Becky over and said, Mammy, I want to see your bracelet. Now, our grandkids call her Mammy, and that's a whole another story for another day, okay? And Becky has a bracelet that has uh, these little metal charms with the initial of the first name of all of our grandchildren. And they're based on order of birth and... For those of our grandchildren that have come to faith in Christ, follow Christ, Becky attached a little cross to that charm. And so Lucy's looking at her bracelet. She's fascinated with it. Lucy's down at the end. She's the second youngest, right? And so um, Lucy said to Becky, well, you need to move my charm up with the older kids. And she said this. She said, I know Jesus now. I cried out a lot to Him since I've been here. Becky told her, well, I think you need a cross. Later that night, Becky was putting her to bed. It was singing a scripture song over her about our Father. We've been talking about our Father. How this message, like for all of us, relates to where we are right now in our lives. Amen? Becky was tucking her in, and this is what Lucy said. I'm going to learn more about Jesus. I know I'm a little girl, but I want to learn about Jesus just like a big girl. As we pray to God, church, as Jesus taught us, we can cry out to Him. We can know that He's our Father that we can trust Him and love Him and worship Him and follow Him. Remember this morning His disposition towards you of love, of grace, of provision, of tenderness, of care. He is a good, good Father. Let's pray. Father, thank You today for Your Son. 
who agreed, who condescended to come to this earth to not use His equality with you to His advantage, to, to set that aside, to walk in obedience to the point of death, even death on a cross. So that on the basis of that finished work, those who call upon your name, those who believe that you are the Son of God, those who have repented from their sin, can be washed clean, can have their debt paid in full, can walk with you for eternity. Thank you today that you made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that all of us that call Him by name can be called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.